0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, How to Sell Anything to Anyone, a problem-solving guide for sales managers, sales leaders, and salespeople. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com pod 354. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with today's guest. He's actually a longtime friend of CFS, and it's always just great to hear his voice and have a conversation with him. He's the vice president of sales at Dial America Marketing, which provides onshore B2B and B2C customer engagement services. He has extensive experience in sales and sales leadership, especially as it relates to contact centers and customer engagement. And he is based near Wichita, Kansas at the moment. So welcome to the show, Jay Hammonds.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Elizabeth. It's always great to talk to you. I really appreciate it.
0: Definitely. I feel like we've known each other for a really, really long time at this point. Um, I am so glad that you could join me. And I just introduced you. But before we jump into the bulk of what we're talking about today, I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners kind of in your own words.
1: Sure. Happy to do that. Um, I guess the, I'd start off with the the fact that I'm passionate about customer experience and customer engagement. Um, that passion literally has grown from working in or with call centers my, my entire career. Um, I, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and my daily goal is to be the person that my dogs think I am.
0: <laughs> that is, uh, that's a wonderful goal. And if I remember correctly, you're a recent empty nester, right?
1: Yes, I. we just sent my youngest child off to the University of Nebraska, um, I, I think it was much easier for him than it was for me. Like I, mm. I, I managed to keep it together until we were in the car on our way out of town. And I think he was just waving, Yay, they're gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was a long time ago at this point, but my freshman year of college, and definitely I was happy, I was excited, I was fine. And then it'll hit at some point. And <laughs> it's it's not a fun realization in some ways. Just like, oh my goodness, my family's far away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think this kid's gonna be like that. I've never okay. met a six-year-old who told anybody I want, I can't wait to go to college. <laughs> every, every six-year-old I ever met said they wanted to be a fireman or something like mm-hmm. that, and 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 he was the six-year-old who said I can't wait to go to college. And so now he's there. You know, I just hope he has a plan for afterwards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, we could probably keep talking about this for a while, but um, I I really wanted to leverage. Your expertise, you know, we, as I said, we at CFS have known you for a long time. I think we were trying to figure out when we had our pre-call, how long we've known each other. And it's at least 10 years. And we've been able to see you succeed in sales through a lot of ups and downs. Obviously, we've all seen what's happened in the economy recently, but as well as over those last 10, 15 years. And I'd love to spend our time today really talking about what are some of the lessons that you've learned about what contributes to that success? How have you been able to succeed um, over time and continuing into right now? So, I'd, I'd love to start with just a big, broad question, and we'll see where this goes. What do you feel like are some of those core principles of selling that you've been able to develop um, that have haven't really changed over the years? What are what are the key foundations to what it is that you do?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and and I it's it's it's. It's easy to say, but I think it's harder to really truly explain. Um, My job is to get to work with people who have problems. My my job is to find people who have problems that need my solution. And so I feel like the the main principle of what I do is listening. Mm. The, The second principle for what I do is qualifying because I don't want to waste anybody's time and I certainly don't want anybody wasting my time. But I am I, I guess it all comes down to this. I love to help people solve problems and I'm, I'm a very good problem solver. If I can't help solve your problem, we probably don't need to waste our time talking together.
0: Absolutely. And I love that you recognize, um, I, I want to stay on this qualifying bit for a moment before we go back to problem solving, because I think a lot of people view qualifying very much is a benefit to them. You know, I want to qualify if this person is worth my time. And that is important. You have a limited amount of bandwidth. And if you're talking to a bunch of people who are not interested or not capable of buying from you, that's not a great use of your time. But you're also noticing it's disrespectful to that person. I don't want to be having a 30 minute conversation with somebody. If I figured out five minutes in, we're not a fit. And, you know, sometimes. There is value that you can provide, and maybe you'll you'll talk about something you'll get. You know, they're not ready um, to work with you, but you can you can give them some advice and and some guidance on their path. But if you can just tell that it's not a fit, it's it's it is disrespectful and it's it's damaging to the relationship. Because I would imagine there have been times when somebody wasn't qualified the first time you talked, and because of the way you handled it, because of the, the relationship that you developed in that process, if at a later point you reached out and it was a better time, it's a lot easier to re-engage with somebody who, who's been respectful to you kind of throughout that whole process. Does that align with kind of the experiences that you've had?
1: I feel like, I feel like you're nailing it. I feel, I'd go a step further. I, I feel like my efforts toward qualification Of course there's, you know, I I need to know that the company has the right revenue, but beyond that, I'm qualifying whether I am a subject matter expert in the Mm. conversation that needs to be had. That's where that's where the real qualification is. If I come to a conversation and I don't bring any value, you're not likely to invite me to any other conversations. So why would why would I waste my time and your time proving that I can't help you? I need to understand if there's an applicable scenario that we can work together and it makes sense for both of us. And that's really what it gets down to. And I feel like that, that really does come down to respect. Um, I, I closed the biggest deal in my career by asking somebody how I could help. I mean, that was literally my close. How can I help? And and that was a person who had told me no in the past.
0: Hmm. I, I really love that that frame on it and i think that really leads us into having a conversation about problem solving because as you said problem solving is a term that i think it's thrown around a bit lightly you know everybody thinks okay i need to be a problem solver i'm a problem solver you have a, a really distinct perspective on what it means to be a problem solver that i'm hearing today and what i'm hearing is not just I need to be able to have my organization meet a need for your organization, but I need to be able as a consultative partner to scope a solution, to provide my expertise to develop the 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 package, you know, the the solution that meets your needs and having that perspective on problem solving. It does require maybe a bit more subject matter expertise. But to me, that's really the difference between having a consultative selling partner and somebody who, who just wants to make an order, right?
1: That's, that's exactly right. Early in my career, I had an opportunity to pitch a, a huge organization, and I blew that because I was so aggressive wanting to pitch. And not and, and I, I wasn't trying to solve a problem. I was trying to make a sale. And so that lack of knowledge I mean it precluded me from being able to make the sale.
0: Absolutely. And it's something that we hear a lot when we talk to executives and um, and CEOs is, I don't think that my sales team has the subject matter expertise that I want them to have. We hear it a lot also from product teams and delivery teams. And the frame that I'm hearing you think about, you know, subject matter expertise is kind of, I I would say it's kind of one and a half or, or two distinct areas. One is you really understand your solution and what it is that you do, and you understand what client problems it solves and distinctly what, you know, what are the situations in which you can be beneficial? And then you combine those two elements to say, hey, based on what I'm hearing from you, we'd need a little bit of this, this kind of approach. We'd go with A instead of B, but we'd take a little bit of E and not C and D, whatever it might be. and, And you're able to craft that custom solution. And so you really can't just learn your product. You have to learn just as much, if not more, about your clients and the situations um, in which they'd use your products. Is is that kind of your approach when it comes to continuing to learn and and increase your product knowledge and your your ability and your expertise?
1: You know, I'm I'm, I'm really lucky in that we work with a, a number of great brands that are on. The forefront of customer experience, and so I have a an ongoing education about where the market is heading, what customer expectations um, are 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 leaning towards, and and how companies are responding to them. I mean, mm-hmm. COVID provided this amazing case study on uh, on the American customer experience and the expectations around that. Um, I, I feel like. My value to my clients is knowing what people are doing and why they're doing it and how it can benefit them. So it, it, you're, you're talking about a recipe and I feel like that's exactly what I do. I'm baking in small batches every single time. I have to be a consultant. I have to be able to understand not only what your problems are, but what solutions are out there in the marketplace and how my company can maybe help you with those.
0: Definitely. And I would imagine early in your career, kind of as you were starting out, it probably took some time. Would you say that if somebody were um, attempting to kind of improve their their expertise, that the being a, a consultative partner, would it make sense to kind of start maybe one industry at a time or, you know, with each client work to identify what's common across all of our clients so far and what's unique to this one and why might that be the case? It, it, some sort of a, a kind of curriculum almost <laughs> approach. Um, how, how have you been able to grow that, I guess, over the years? And, and do you have a, an approach if you were mentoring a new hire that, that you would recommend that they follow?
1: Yeah, I feel, like, I feel like becoming a new business development rep in the customer experience space really requires an investment in time to understand what customer experience is, how it's measured, and, and how your clients benefit from those measurements. Uh, mm. If you're, if you're going to be a real consultant, I mean, you have to figure out what does this mean to the bottom line? And inevitably, yield is part of your conversation, whether you're talking about outreach or service, You've got, you know, what what is the cost of that interaction and what does it yield? And so understanding how, how my industry plays with all of the other companies in America that have customers, that have to engage with those customers, how do I add value to them really becomes any sales reps, you know, their, their mission.
0: Absolutely. And um, you are definitely in an interesting space in that you work with so many large, well known companies, there's a lot of information to be found. But what I've seen, you know, whether it's a very well known company or, or a small one, you can still ask a lot of the same questions and apply your expertise in a lot of different you know, in, in in a lot of the same ways. And, you know, take what you learn from the big companies and apply it to the smaller ones and take what you learn from the smaller companies and sometimes apply that to the larger ones.
1: I, I'm a product of all the the programs that I've been a part of, so yeah, it's it, There's there's tribal knowledge that's really deep within the organization, and that helps us support some pretty audacious goals from our clients.
0: Definitely. So um, we've talked a lot about qualifying and about problem solving, and I feel like those are those are two of your core principles. But I know something else that I feel like I know you for and i see in what it is that you do is the relationships that you build and i think it's built on problem solving it's built on being a subject matter expert it's built on respecting people and qualifying quickly and and appropriately but what are what are some of the ways that you think about relationships and Building relationships, maintaining relationships, how you how you leverage relationships to drive success in business development.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, I think a lot of people would like to boil relationships down to transactional um, transactional exchanges, I guess, mm-hmm. in sales and 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 I guess in my experience. Is that there's no faster way to miss your quota, yes, than, than, than to treat those relationships as transactions. And I think one of the most one of the most um, powerful insights I think I've had in my career is that I've been surrounded by people who had so much more to offer than I took time to understand, mm. and so that that really kind of. That really has kind of driven me to try to understand so when you talk about problem solving and relationships i think it really just comes down to the fact that i've embraced my curiosity about people and and i want to understand what is your thing because everybody's got a thing probably right and i want to understand those things and then when it comes to business i like to be able to know that i have that thing to offer right and that, and that's important I, I tell my friends all the time that i collect smart people. I collect brilliant people like other people collect bottles of wine or something like that. Only I don't (laughs) keep these on shelves. I just can't wait to interact with them. So for me, relationships are about respect. I love learning from people. And the the only thing I love more than that is being able to help people. And I hope that that comes across as genuine. I think it comes across as genuine when I talk to people. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have the relationships that I do.
0: Absolutely. I think there is a there's a temptation to make it transactional, like you said, and especially when it comes to sales, when you do leverage your relationships for business and people are, you know, paying you money because of the relationship that you have. But if you're doing it in service of a bigger, you know, um, contract if you're doing it in service of um, being able to show off that, that you got a, a client that's going to come out subconsciously in the way that you communicate versus really having that interest in them as people and having that curiosity about the challenges and the problems that they have I think we've all got friends who are just naturally like that and it's such an appealing person to spend time with somebody who who's truly curious and wants to understand. And people love generally to talk about themselves. And so it's not usually very hard to get people to to talk about what it is that they're passionate about. And if you're passionate about something that is a part of what it is that they do, it, it, it turns into, you're not selling. You're you're talking you're conversing you're you're discussing things you're you're sharing with each other and sometimes you discover that there's a way that you could work together there's a solution that you could provide um you know that you could craft together and sometimes there's not but there's that consistent deepening of relationship just in the listening and in the 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 kind of respect as you said that you're providing to that person by Really wanting to spend the time and hear from them what it is that they're interested in.
1: That, that I you, I could not have said that any better. Um, I, I think that's that's exactly the whole point. I mean, in this whole this whole concept of sales revolves a push or a pull, right? And 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 don't don't get me wrong. I have to use automated sales processes. I have to be automated in my approach. There has to be discipline around the numbers that drive my success but the the pull is me being able to 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 let people know that i i can help solve your problems and the biggest the biggest compliment i ever receive is a referral from someone who says hey jay helped me with this problem around cx this way give him a call maybe he knows something sometimes that turns into a deal sometimes that doesn't turn into a deal but it turned into me knowing somebody that I didn't know before and maybe helping them with the problem. And that almost always turns into a deal at some point.
0: Absolutely. And one thing that I find fascinating is when you hear somebody else describe you or introduce you to a third party, it tells you so much about how they understand who you are. And it, it can be very revealing. You know, maybe they, they focus on one thing and you discover they only know that one thing about you. That's, or that's the biggest thing about you in their mind. Um, but if you have somebody who is able to refer you to somebody who you are able to help, what that tells you is they understand who you are, what you do, the problems that you solve, and they know that they can trust their friend, their colleague, whoever it is that they introduced with you. Right, a, a referral is such a gift because somebody's saying, "I'm putting my neck on the line for you." I am telling somebody that I trust you with them, and depending on the scope of it, obviously, sometimes it's more of a risk than others, but it's still a real insight into the relationship that you have with someone.
1: You know, I, thanks for that. I feel like I, I feel like one of the ways that bears itself out too is that the, the keeping relationships. Right, Mm -hmm. keeping those clients. So uh, most of my clients have been around for ten years, twelve years. Um, I've been with Dial for fifteen years, and I've you know I've got clients who have been with me from the very beginning. I'm always adding to that roster, but I've got client relationships that go all that way back. And we've gone through five, six different contracts, eighteen different crises of different kinds, and you know being able to have that relationship and maintain that business relationship to be to be workable for everybody, that to me, that feels like, hey, I, that's, that's an accomplishment.
0: Absolutely. One thing that I've discovered is, um, and this is true in personal relationships as well, it's really only once you've been through a challenging situation that you really get to understand somebody. And so you can have a business relationship with somebody for years and years and years and nothing ever goes wrong. There's no friction at any point. And it's gonna be more shallow than a relationship that might be much shorter in duration, but you've been through some stuff together <laughs> and That's you true. see how people respond. And it it can be interesting to be a client of a company for a long time and have never seen how they deal with crisis, how they deal with difficulty. Because there is kind of a worry in the back of your mind that, you know, I've never seen how they respond to this. What if they're really bad in crisis and they're very lucky that they don't have it very often, but when it does happen, they just, you know, they can't handle it. They run around like chickens with their heads cut off and it's not, it, you know, it's not a, a useful partner relationship. And so it's not like you should manufacture crises. <laughs> That's totally. not generally a good stra- strategy, but, um, Definitely, I think viewing those as opportunities to continue to be a problem solver and to deepen the relationship.
1: You know, I feel like during COVID we saw the best example of that because mm. I feel like one of the trends that I saw there really was that um, you know people weren't looking to make a whole lot of new friends. Right when COVID started, mm-hmm. they were digging into their Rolodexes and going back to the people that had helped them in the past. You know, who do, who do I know that I can help solve this problem? And everybody had problems, at particularly at the beginning of COVID as things went down. And so we we were busy and, and our phones were busy. And, and it, it was nice to know that, you know, people were counting on us in, in a really, really tough situation and to be able to deliver those. Some of those relationships have been forged and that business may go away next week, but I mm-hmm. guarantee. That there's, you know, there's been relationships built there that will last, you know, the rest of people's careers.
0: Absolutely. And it, it, that's such a strong example, too, of a, a situation that's not just a crisis for one of your clients, right? When everybody is experiencing a problem, that's really when you need to flip into high gear and be able to um, quickly understand what are the unique situations that a lot of companies are facing being able to diagnose the needs and the concerns of each individual person you're talking to and providing solutions in the moment that might be different from what you've been able to provide before so it's you know if you're not building that muscle slowly over the years one by one with your clients there's no way you're going to be able to handle it when suddenly you're, you're getting calls from you know dozens of companies all experiencing some of the same problems.
1: But, and it's funny because you, 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 that I like the analogy of the muscle usage because that's a muscle that I think a lot of companies hadn't used. And so the adapting really, really quickly was something that everybody had to do. And so we learned how to do it. And now I think it's, it's, it is the way things are, are moving forward. We are going to continue to adapt quickly and if the things that happened in COVID happened today, there would be different responses because of the adaptation that occurred, um, particularly in my industry. Um, And so I feel like there's a march forward that just does not stop. And as one of my very first mentors said, you can get on the bus or you can get run over by the bus.
0: (laughs) Definitely. I, I do want to I, I don't think we had really planned on talking about this, but I think that this is this is important. Obviously, you, you know you work in the customer engagement space, and uh, a big part of that is inbound and outbound um, calling, <laughs> and and that's obviously Dial America that's in the name. Um, but I'd love to hear what are some of the the things that you're seeing that that have you know, the changes that have come out of COVID and everything that's changed in the world and how you've had to kind of adapt your solution, adapt your approach?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm going to try to give as coherent an answer as I possibly can, Uh, but I'm still struggling from a little bit of uh, stress from the whole situation. (laughs) Um, Certainly. (laughs) uh, You know, it's, it's honestly, I feel like, we, we our industry is kind of at an inflection point where ai and and bots and analytics are really making a difference on customer interaction and customer engagement and that mm-hmm. was hap- that was happening before covid and the 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 outcome of that evolution in customer experience and customer engagement is that Where the call center used to be, the contact center, the customer service rep, whatever you want to call them, where that used to be a catch-all for all kinds of activity, we've gotten much better about directing self-service and digitization Mm. and providing, you know, less, uh, I guess, easier responses for less intrusive or demanding interactions Um, And then, so what that means is where we used to have an agent that was in training for a week or two weeks on average, they're now in training for six to eight weeks, 10 weeks, maybe sometimes 12 weeks Mm. to handle some of these much more complex interactions that are occurring because the rote interactions have been sent to machines. So it, it really changes your customer experience focus. And it puts a lot more responsibility on that person in the chair to have the right conversation at the right time.
0: Absolutely. That's, I think, something that people still aren't sure of how quickly it's going to happen in in different fields. But that's a great example of when automation hits, you can just you know stop and say okay computers have taken over or figuring out what's what's the thing that people do still need a person on the phone for and i think of how many times i call a customer service line or um, i you know call to even to even uh, buy something uh, every year i get the um, there's a package for my cable that lets me see all the hockey games across the various markets that I wouldn't be able to see in my local market. That's my, my one sports fandom and um, it's, it's easy enough to follow with it. And you are supposed to be able to just click in the app and get signed up for it. There's not a single time I haven't had to talk to a person (laughs) in order to get it up and running. Um, And usually I'm talking to a person, you know, the day of the first game, of course, of course, I can't watch it on my TV. Um, So it's it's you think of the kind of times you want to deal with a person and I don't need a person to tell me what's the balance on my bill. I don't need a person to, you know, to sell me a really basic thing, you know, a a continuation of a service or an upgrade or whatever. But when I realized I had all these different subscriptions with The New York Times and they had an all inclusive subscription that would cover all of it and be cheaper it was nice to call and talk to a real person and figure out how do I get a refund, you know, how do we prorate all the times because everything's signed up with a different calendar. And, and that is a level of expertise the person at the other end of the phone has to have where, like you said, it's not just a couple of weeks. It's not just there's a manual in front of me with 10 questions we get asked and the, the perfect answer for each one. It's lots of interesting, creative questions <laughs> and uh, a person who needs to be an actual problem solver on the phone instead of just a person who can, you know, page through a manual and read a script.
1: Yeah. The, the ability to link databases together and dip in and grab information is easy, but when there's decisioning that has to be done, that's still a thing that's being developed and then eventually we'll get there. Um, and there's some really amazing tools out there that can, that can help customer engagement, but but it all does come down to somebody sitting in a seat being able to take care of the thing the machines couldn't.
0: Yep, yep. And, and we've all had situations where, you know, you're on a phone tree and, you know, there, there is a limit do what the automated system can do. And any, anytime you've gotten to the place where you're frustratingly saying representative, representative, yeah. <laughs> to try to get out of a phone tree, you yeah. want that representative to be to be capable and qualified. So I love that. And I think that's something that as organizations are thinking about their, their offering and the way that they engage with their clients, um, have you automated the stuff that people want to be automated? Have you taken the things that... That people don't want the friction of having to interact with a person and a person can't add value. And have you been able to figure out how to automate those? But have you been able to also identify what are the use cases where you do benefit from having an interaction? And how can you have that person be skilled? And and capable in that way, because I think a lot of people have historically viewed, you know, the people picking up the phone as very low level. And that's, that's not the kind of, um, of representatives that we're really talking about here. We're talking about people who who know what they're talking about. And that's, I would imagine, a, a more satisfying job for those people even it's, though it's it's also going to be a bit more of a stretch.
1: It is it is certainly much more of a demanding job because again you're talking about an increased knowledge load, you're talking about an increased you know ability to understand specific client interactions that are outside of the norm for the most part. And and for anybody who's listening, I mean you you obviously understand that digitization is a thing that is happening. It is coming whether we want to see it come or not and there are incredible benefits both for the companies that employ digitization and their customer experience, mm-hmm. the amount of, the amount of return that we see on some of these efforts is, is unbelievable.
0: Definitely. Definitely. So I, I had to go off on that rabbit trail a bit, just because, you know, again, this is your area of expertise. Um, but I, I'll, I'll kind of circle it back. Cause we're, we're really building on, you know, to me, it, go, it makes sense. Um, we're talking about a change in your business, that that you've seen and, and been able to adapt to, what are some changes that you've observed in the way people want to buy from you, and the way people engage with you? And and I think we've already discussed some of them, but there are there other changes that you've been adapting to lately.
1: Yeah, I feel like in this in in the current marketplace, um, there's more. What uh, reputation vetting, profile vetting that happens before you ever get down that path. They want to know, mm. my buyers want to know a lot more about my company and me in many cases before that we go down that, that long path. And so your your social reputation is, is kind of important. Um, and if you haven't been advocating for an area and suddenly you start advocating for an area or talking about a process or talking about something that you haven't ever talked about before... It, 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 it I think it raises questions when I tell people I'm passionate about customer experience, you need to be able to go to my social sites and confirm that mm-hmm. and you need to be able to see that other people agree that I know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, what's the difference between you and a bot that's just out there auto generating leads, right?
0: absolutely um and i feel like that's happening in so many ways like you said there's you at an individual level then there's do i think your company has the right values you know are you making a, a difference in the world in a positive way or are you a company that i would be ashamed if if my clients knew that I was working with you and like you said you you don't want to just you know slap a logo on your website and call it a day. It's really about demonstrating a true commitment to those principles. And it, one thing um, I'm going to have to look back and we'll include it in the show notes. There's somebody I talked to on the podcast where we talked about um, at, at an organizational level, identifying the good you can do in the world that also aligns with what it is that you do as an organization, right? It's easy to think about if you're like in the medical space or something, the That's the passion, true. the mission that you have is tied to what it is that you're doing. But if you can think about, okay, we have a customer engagement service that we provide. What, what does that align with when it comes to values? And how can we live out those values? And, you know, I, From the outside, what I see one of your things is you want to um, provide jobs uh, and not just outsource jobs, but actually provide jobs in the U.S. Um, I see that you you've made a lot of commitments in the local community where the company is based. And that that aligns with your offering. But then there are also other values that come out and figuring out how to share that message externally in a way that people can engage with and can be excited to support and can be comfortable and confident in working with you is a skill is a is a type of communication that people never really had to think about much in the past and that's a that's a great observation that that's something that that people really do care about more than they used to and the information is more readily accessible than it used to be
1: You know, it, it, it really, this is a long time ago. I I had a a sales mentor who introduced me to the concept of sales as whale hunting. Mm -hmm. And, and he explained that, that individuals don't hunt whales. It takes a lot of people to land a whale and it takes a whole village when, when there's a whale being caught. And, and my village are my operations, my account management, my technology, all the, the, the people who do the work for our clients, the people who make these ideas come into fruition and and actually generate the results that we're, that we're hoping for. My job as cruise director, I have to introduce those people mm-hmm. to the buyers and I have to make sure that they're prepared. I have to make sure that they understand what we're talking about, what the buyer is looking for. My job is event preparation as much as it is finding new contacts.
0: Mm. That's that's such a great view. And that is um, an a, analogy that we often use is, you know, there's got to be somebody who's the quarterback of, um, of the process. Um, and that alone is a big value add. A lot of times what we don't consider is, People don't necessarily know how to buy your services because it's not something they're doing every day. You are selling your services, hopefully, many, many, many more times than they are buying your services, right? It could be a thing they do once every 10 years or you know, 15 years or 20 years. And maybe it's the only time over the course of this person's career that they'll be making this buying decision. And so if you can coordinate that, if you can tell them what to expect. Sometimes you have to tell people what questions they should be asking you. <laughs> and that's that's a great way again to to qualify and also to really be that consultative partner.
1: Managing expectations is everything, right? And if I can't and so let's go back to what I said, I have to listen. Right? I have to listen, I have to qualify, I have to manage expectations. That's the that's the end result of listening and qualifying, managing expectations. What do you want? What do I want? What do you need? What do I need?
0: Yeah, and it's it's it can be fun. I think that something that comes out just in your voice, in the way that you talk about this, is your real passion for it. And I can't help but agree because this is something that that also really resonates with me and is is what I love about. What it is that I do, but I think most people like you know putting Legos together, doing puzzles. Maybe it's crosswords or Sudokus or whatever. People people like to challenge themselves a little bit. So I think if you can take whatever it is that you do that involves figuring things out, turning order and turning chaos into order, um, that's the same drive, the same principle that really underpins um, this this core element of what it is that you do as a consultative sales professional.
1: I, I love it. And I'm looking up at my wall of the like 13 or 14 different Lego sets that I've built with my kids <laughs> over the years.
0: <laughs> oh, I am jealous. That's one of the things that um, I am glad that I've got lots of nieces and nephews because there's a, a solid range of ages at which that is a gift you don't really have to think about and anytime I get to actually sit and and build stuff with them first of all Legos have gotten so much more fancy and complicated since I was a kid I'm jealous
1: so Um, much so much fancier (laughs) so much fancier but I will not lie one of my one of my treasured possessions is I still have all my Legos from when I was a kid
0: oh that's awesome
1: I gave them to my kids and then augmented all those so shout out to Legos they're fantastic (laughs)
0: <laughs> Definitely. And they are not a sponsor of this podcast, unfortunately. They
1: should be. They should be. The real they real should fun. be.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm looking at the clock and realizing that we've, we've been talking for a while. So a question I always like to ask our guests, because this is something that every professional is doing is keeping an eye on trends. We've talked about that a little bit with what you're seeing um, specifically in, in what it is that clients are looking for in your industry related to automation. But are there any other trends that you're kind of keeping in your view as you as you look to the future?
1: You know, I think I've already talked about digitization, and I feel like that's really the trend that, mm-hmm. is, that is that is really the trend. Digitization, the, the increased use of AI, the increased use of bots, The need for a better trained rep really is what it's going to come down to. Because when you end up with those decision trees that have terminated and you don't have an answer still, your CX goes down. It just drops like a rock. Your return buyers fall off. So a a good digitization platform is a great idea. You just have to be able to manage and, and, and continue to tweak that. And I think that's the trend. People are learning how far they can go with digitization. What can we get away with? What can we not get away with? Where is their opportunity to improve CX and save the company some money at the same time? And, you know, grasp, reach, not always the same.
0: Absolutely. That's so incredibly important. I think kind of related to that, it, it's, it's been a problem for a while now of organizations growing their tech stack growing the number of platforms that they have and not fully leveraging and adopting each one as it happens. And so if you realize that you already have implemented a lot of different um, platforms and tools and you haven't been able to successfully use them, you really want to think about, okay, what is our integration process, what is our rollout process? Um, because clearly it's not working. And you don't want to try to roll out a next step of automation before you've figured out how to use the things that you already have. So I think that's a that's a good kind of litmus test for organizations as they're as they're figuring out their, you know, their their capacity and their ability to move along the automation um, journey that that we're all on.
1: Uh, That's, that's, that's very well said. I I, understanding what your goals are, understanding what your objectives are. And again, I'm going to say this again, managing expectations, Mm -hmm. for what you're going to get out of that endeavor. And then if you don't hit that number, you, you really need to understand why, you know, that's where the real, that's where the real problem solving comes in and the aha moment for that next, that next propulsion forward comes from, you know, what, what do we need to do differently next time? We've all seen this in our own sales automation efforts as we've gone through. You know, I, this it's it's an evolutionary process. You don't ever have it figured out. It's always changing.
0: Yep. And the number of times I've talked to organizations and there's one person on the team who knows how to use, you know, platform A. And there's another person on the team who knows how to use platform B. And there's nobody who actually knows how to use all of them. <laughs> and it's, it's not... Not a great recipe for success, certainly.
1: So um, many organizations are reaching for omni-channel interaction, and 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 it's it's a concept that makes a lot of sense. And when it's appropriately applied, it is fantastic. But using the word omni-channel means something different than having seven different stacks <laughs> of <appropriate laughs> interactions.
0: Definitely, definitely, and a lot of times that that buzzword is, you know, five steps ahead of where you are, not just one step. So figuring out what, you know, can you, can you successfully manage one channel then two channels, and then we can get you to Omni.
1: That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly. Do, do you need to run or do you need to walk? And, and what mm-hmm. is it going to help you if you're running in that certain direction? You know what I mean? Not everybody really needs Omni channel, but it's become such a buzzword.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you think about if a lot of times that's a useful perspective to have. How many different trends have come and gone? And a lot of companies feel like every single big thing that comes out, we have to figure out, you know, how we're going to adopt it. But more if you can understand what is the purpose of this? Why are companies interested in this? What are the kinds of businesses that are really benefiting from this trend? And what would we need to be able to do in order to benefit from it? And, you know, it some things most things you have to at least have an understanding of you don't want to miss a wave that that everybody's going to be riding at some point but you also don't need to be the the first one to jump in or a very early one to jump in if if there's not necessarily a strong use case and sometimes depending on the organization figuring out you know hey who are the people that we're going to watch what they're doing <laughs> and see how they use it as um, as some inspiration for how we might be able to build it out ourselves and it can be interesting to see the correlations that people make even outside their industry. You know, it's not like you're looking at your competitor to see how they're doing it, but how can you look at a tangential company who has a, some overlap with yours, some similarity to yours, see how they're leveraging it. And you can still be a fast mover in your specific space, (laughs) but um, you can, you can usually take a lot of best practices from others as well.
1: Yeah. There's so many, Portable use case studies mm-hmm. that really aren't that aren't industry specific. Um, it, it really ultimately comes down to application.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, a question I always like to ask my guests because I am a constant searcher of information, and i assume anyone who listens to this podcast is as well. Are what are some resources that you would recommend to our listeners? It could be books, it could be podcasts, it could be a YouTube, a TED Talk, whatever it might be.
1: Uh, you know I I don't know that I was completely prepared for this question so I'm kind of I'm, I'm scrambling a little bit. Um I would say that when it comes to trends in my industry I feel like uh, paceassociation.org. Um that's P A C E um organization.org. org. Um, mm-hmm. they're they're uh, the professional association for for customer experience and they're it's a fantastic group. I've met some wonderfully smart people there who are doing some great things in CX. And I follow a lot of them. I stay in touch with a lot of them. And, and I feel like it's always a great opportunity to go to their annual conference and learn about what's coming up and what's happening. I'm looking forward to attending that. I'll be speaking actually about digitization uh, in their October conference. Um, and then I, I've been listening to Authentic Persuasion uh, a podcast with Jason Cutter recently. He asked me onto his show, and I had not heard his show. Um, I started listening to his show, and I listened to it for about a month before I finally responded to him and said, "Yeah, I want to do this." Um, but I feel like it, when I listen to his show every single time, I, I don't, I don't necessarily hear something that I've never heard before, but I hear it in a different way, and it makes mm. me think about my craft, and that's something that I feel like I'm doing for my for my continued progression.
0: Absolutely. I I really love that. And I think that's hopefully come out in our conversation today in that certainly you need to stay up on, on the new things and you need to be always looking for um, is there, is there something new I can be adding to my craft, adding to my, to my expertise, but there's, there's kind of a magic in reading a book that you've read before or watching, attending a training that you've attended before, and seeing how something that you learned either comes to life again in your mind. Sometimes we, we slowly move away from something and we see it again. And we're like, oh, oops, I didn't realize how far off track I'd gone or, or how much i would forgotten. But there's also, you know, I'm at a different stage in my career. I have different problems, different challenges that I'm facing right now. And this didn't really hit me the first time or the second time or, you know, the 70th time, whatever. But on time number 71, it really does. Um, it really does resonate. And I find obviously we do trainings and it's amazing how many times either Charles or I is delivering a training and I'll hear something. Sometimes it even comes out of my mouth. and I'm like, oh, I really needed to hear that today. <laughs>
1: You know, it's funny, but that's just that is kind of how it happens. And and I find the same thing. I've been a huge fan of CFS ever since we first met. Um, and I, I hold you directly responsible for a lot of the successes that I've been able to enjoy in my career. Uh, and getting a process and and being able to follow that process. And I I've made slight and subtle changes to the process that we learned from Charles all those years ago, but it is still a process that I have come to love. I mean, I absolutely love that process, and continue to work on it, continue to refine on it, and as as long as I do that, I hope you know it continues to yield success.
0: Absolutely, and it's. I think a lot of times when we talk to people about sales, people think that there's some new silver bullet that might be coming. You could read a book that was written 50 years ago and a book that was published yesterday. And a lot of the principles, if they're if they're providing decent advice, are gonna be the same. And it goes back to what we started talking about today, which is respecting other people and being a problem solver and wanting to help and figure things out. And those were the principles of selling before people had computers and email and automation. <laughs> and they will be when we, you know, We're we're all robots, um, doing this through AI. I don't even want to imagine what the next step is going to be. I'm getting too old for that. Yeah, (laughs) Um,
1: downloaded downloaded consciousnesses sound kind of fun. but sure. I'm not entirely. I was
0: teasing Charles this morning about at some point being a brain in a jar. So you never know. Maybe my body can be on a beach somewhere, and my brain can be in a jar uh, advising and helping people. I don't know that that would work, but maybe somebody's working on it right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Feel like there's a show called Westworld. You need to check out. My- <laughs>
0: um. All right. Well, I, I think we're, we're getting outside my scope of expertise. That's for sure. <laughs> but if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where should they find you?
1: Uh, you can check me out. Um, I'm www.dialamerica.com is the homepage for the company. Um, and then I'm on LinkedIn, Jay Hammonds. Um, Hook me up. Connect with me. I'd love to meet you. Let's talk.
0: Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in connecting with you after hearing um, just who you are. uh, That really comes out in how you talk. So thank you so, so much for speaking with me today. I've really appreciated this time.
1: You're too kind, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you and I can't wait to see you soon. Thank you so much.
0: Definitely. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Jay and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 354. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people learn about it. Think about the recommendation to a podcast that you heard Jay giving earlier. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure that you're doing that. That way you get every episode as soon as it goes live. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening right now. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast platform of choice, or email us if you've got direct feedback, if you have questions, topics we should address, guests that we should be talking to, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy Sally!